Rabbit Hole Happy Hour. My name is Mallory. My name is Ashley. Thanks for joining us once again on our 19th episode. 19, baby. We're almost to a milestone. Woohoo! We put out um, some questions recently, like what kind of 20th episode should we do? Yes. It's all on Mallory. Yeah, it's all on me because <laughs> I do the even numbered episodes. Great. I actually was looking at a few today and I have a couple of ideas. So I'm excited. We'll see what I land on. And we also asked if you guys were interested in merch. And we had a few people that were pretty interested. So we're going to have to look into that. Yeah, that's crazy. My little logo. Your little logo. (laughs) On somebody's shirt. Mallory. Yes, ma'am. Happy birthday. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Mallory is in her mid-30s now. Yep, officially. (laughs) Right smack in the middle. What's new with you? Um, not a whole lot. My sister came into town for my birthday. Uh, We went to the pool every single day. And... Got our tan on. Wow. (laughs) Didn't get very tan because I'm literally paler than anyone that's ever lived. Um, But we did go to dinner, as you know, with you. (laughs) Yes, I know because I was there. That was amazing. (laughs) St. Cecilia is the best restaurant ever. You got so full that you were like about to vomit. Dude, I don't know what happened. I don't know why. I was so full. I literally <laughs> was, I felt pregnant and I was so uncomfortable. Pregnant with baby pastas. It's like, you know, have you ever been so full that it like is very uncomfortable to breathe? Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I usually go home and vomit. Yeah. I didn't vomit. I digested those calories. Probably should have vomited. <laughs> But anyway, man, oh my God. Anything else new? Um, nope. (laughs) My life is just normal right now. Um, yeah, same. I mean, the only thing that's new with me is last week I ate healthy. Nice. And I went to Orange Theory twice. Good job. My goal is. I did not go to Orange Theory twice, (laughs) and I have got to go back this week. Okay, well, we'll go back. Yeah, I have been really bad. There's a new coach, and he's pretty good. Oh, sweet. Yeah, anyway. So, guys, drink of the night. It's called El Diablo, and it's a tequila-based drink. I decided on this drink because I was looking for a drink that had ginger beer because last episode, our drink featured ginger beer and Mallory left it at my house. So I was like, (laughs) let's do a ginger beer drink. And I found this one. It is, I'm just going to give you the bastardized version that we made. Um, So it's two ounces reposado tequila, half ounce creme de cassis, which is... What was the black currant? Yeah, black currant. Is that black currant or black currant? I don't know because they had it in one word, which maybe it's supposed to be pronounced differently. A currant is a great thing. Oh, okay. Black currant. It's a black currant liqueur. 
and then half ounce lime juice, and then two ounces ginger beer. And it's pretty good. I like it a lot, actually. It's really good. What I did, so guys, the original drink, no one cares, one and a half (laughs) ounces Reposado tequila. I just added to that because, you know, we like our drinks spicy. Spicy, spicy. Um, And then I lowered the amount of ginger beer. It's, it calls for three ounces, and we did two ounces. It's good. It is good. A lot of... So, since nothing much is new with us... Yeah. Should I just get on into it? I guess we can just dive in, babe. All right. So, the case tonight was recommended to us from a listener in our Facebook group. Nice. His name is Matthew Ray. So, thank you, Matthew, for listening and for the amazing recommendation I started reading about the case when I was in Canada just to like see if this was something I'd want to do. And I immediately decided I had to do the story. And Mallory, you'll understand why. I can't wait. (laughs) She's been hyping it up a little bit. So I'm like, yay. (laughs) So let's go. Toni Bertolet was a very successful woman. She was a high school athlete, made great grades, and went on to med school to be an ophthalmologist. She was extremely close with her family and was raised with strong Christian beliefs. The Bertolets did well financially. Tony's father, Bob, was in the oil industry, and her mother, Yvonne, was a surgical nurse. Growing up wealthy didn't stop Tony from wanting to pursue her own career aspirations. She went on to become an eye surgeon and opened up her own practice, something she'd known she wanted to do since she was a little girl. But what Tony really wanted was children. In fact, she became an ophthalmologist because it was less demanding than other medical fields, and she wanted to be able to raise a family. Tony was married previously to a dentist, but the relationship didn't work out. Turns out her ex was abusing drugs, the ones that were meant for patients. So, Mallory, you've mm-hmm. worked in the dental field. I have. What kind of drugs would this ex-husband of Tony's be abusing? The only, um, like, you know, people that would come in and we kind of, behind their backs, labeled them as pill abusers <laughs> um, or pill seekers would be people coming in for pain medication. Oh, so pain meds? Probably. That's what I'm thinking. I was imagining like laughing gas or something. But that, I mean, I guess you could, but you would have to be in the office to do it. And um, it doesn't last, but as long as you have the mask Mm -hmm. on. Got it. So I feel like it's not as, it's not as recreational as Mm. pain meds. Well, the drugs made him mean. I don't know if pain meds make you mean, but the drugs made him mean, and he didn't treat Tony well at all. The divorce was really hard for her. She believed once you took vows, that was it. You stayed together. She had been unlucky in love until she came across Harold Henthorne's profile on a Christian dating site called Christian Matchmaker. Why are you smiling? Because I can't handle this picture. (laughs) And I'm not allowed to say bad things about people, so... 
You can say whatever you'd like. <laughs> this is your podcast. It's just... I'm guessing this is like a headshot for like a business picture or something, but it's it's just really cheesy, the way he's smiling. <laughs> it's a picture of Harold. He has a wide-toothed grin. Mm-hmm. Just a very happy Christian man. like if you think of a stock photo of a happy christian man this is it (laughs) the bertolets which are tony's family were thrilled harold was outgoing and charming with a smile that came almost too easily he gave those around him a salesman vibe but harold said he would take care of their daughter He announced one evening that Tony would never need to work another day due to his successful business. Harold was a fundraiser for -for not-for-profit organizations, churches, hospitals, you name it. Harold traveled all over the country raising funds and in turn was paid quite nicely. In so many words, Harold let the Bertolets know that he was a millionaire. Hmm. Something the family noticed about Harold was how involved he was in planning the wedding. I mean, he was involved. He had a binder for every aspect of the wedding. Oh my God. The cake, the DJ, the photographer. There was a plan for all of it. And everything had to be perfect. It was excessive. Nothing was easy. Tony, on the other hand, stood back and let Harold do his thing, and the couple was married on September 30th, 2000. Soon after the wedding, Harold and Tony sold her practice and moved out west. Harold was adamant about going back to Colorado. It was hard for Tony to leave her family and her practice, but she went with it. After a long road of trying to get pregnant, At 43, Tony was finally going to have a baby. Isn't that nice? That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I know it's not impossible, but... Yeah. Well, she was super happy, and they ended up having a girl who they named Haley. So their daughter Haley was born on June 29th, 2005. Tony didn't get to make it out to Mississippi a whole lot to see her family, because her parents were older and they had some medical issues that made it difficult to travel to Colorado. Communication between Tony and her family became less and less. Every time they called, Harold would always be on the phone too. It was just quirky Harold being Harold. The Bertolets recalled the letters they would receive from the Henthorns every Christmas. Every year, they'd send a card outlining all of the great things going on in their life. It was largely focused on Harold and all of his accomplishments and were written in the third person by Harold. Weird. Yeah. That's a little weird. So, for example, he'd be like, Tony gave birth to Haley on June 29th, 2005. Daddy Harold was there to help with the cutting of the umbilical cord. Oh my God. And then he signed it, Harold. (laughs) And he like would go on and talk about all the things that he was doing. And he would just like kind of leave Tony in the shadow. Um, And it was really weird. Just like super awkward. And I have relatives that do this every Christmas. Really? I hope they're not listening. The Bertolets were starting to get a vibe from Harold. More so than before. 
Every time they spoke to Tony, she didn't seem like herself. Her coworkers noticed that Tony would stay late after work and play games on her computer, or she was known to contribute advice to columns on a Christian message board. She seemed exhausted by Harold. He was so controlling, so needy, just exhausting. Yeah, he seems very high maintenance. Yeah. But Harold and Tony's 12th wedding anniversary was coming up, and Harold had a plan. It was planned meticulously, of course. He was going to surprise Tony with a trip away to the Rocky Mountains. He worked with her staff at her practice and had all her patients rescheduled and filled in with fake patients. When Tony would walk... (laughs) What does that mean? They just filled in, like, the schedule with people that didn't exist so she felt like she had to go to these appointments oh the, but really oh. they just rescheduled out the real patients like a few weeks I later i see oh my god so when tony would walk into the exam room harold would be sitting in the chair to surprise her <laughs> she's like oh good you're here <laughs> exactly <laughs> the staff thought harold was annoying and weird but they all gushed with how sweet this gesture was and how much work it was to pull off. Someone filmed to catch Tony's reaction to the surprise. Oh, God. When she walked into the exam room, Tony smiled a very confused smile and kind of gives Harold an awkward side hug. Harold's telling Tony that he's planned a special trip for her and had all her bags packed and ready to go. Tony's reaction just seems confused, but, yeah. but happy. I don't know. That was the last time her colleagues would see her. Oh, no. Harold and Tony head off on their romantic getaway where Harold had planned for them to stay in the Stanley Hotel. This is, this, this is the hotel this from is, The Shining. Yes, what it was based off of, yes. right? And the, the one that I visited in... Portland was just where it was filmed. Yeah, I, I'm not sure, but this is the official Shining Hotel. Yeah, I as soon as I saw that name, I was like, oh yeah. The hotel was in Estes Park, and he had the perfect day planned. They'd bring a picnic lunch and go on a hike in the stunning Rocky Mountains. It was an attempt to reconnect with nature and each other. But unfortunately... We don't tell stories about dreamy anniversary trips on this podcast. We don't. Something bad happened to Tony. The couple decided to go off trail at some point in the hike and ended up in a very dangerous area with steep cliffs. Harold was messing with his phone when he heard a scream. He looked toward where Tony was and she had vanished. She had fallen off an extremely high ledge. Oh my god. A call comes into 911. 911, what's your address? Emergency. Hello, my name is Harold Hithorch. I'm in the Rocky Mountain National Park. Okay. I'm in Alpine Mountain Rescue Team immediately. Okay, what is your exact location? My exact location is Deer Mountain, North okay. Summit. About okay. One mile 
Uh, one mile south of the visitor center. Okay, I'm going to transfer you to the park. So hang on the line. You'll hear some. You're going to hear some clicking. And right now, okay. I'm pulling up your Latin, your long, okay. um, on my phone here. Let me try it one more time before I transfer you. They don't have this technology. Can I, can I make sure you know where I am first? Okay. Yep, I have one moment. Okay. Okay. Hang on. Let me tell you right where I am. And I'll introduce who we are when they pick up the phone. This is Estes, and we have a gentleman on Deer Mountain. Go ahead, sir. Thank you. My wife has fallen from a rock that's on the north summit of Deer Mountain on the Deer Mountain Trail when she's in really critical condition. She's had a bad fall. Her uh, How far is she fall, sir? Uh, 30, 40, 30 feet, 30 feet.
pay any and all expenses for a helicopter. I don't care if it's private, I don't care if it's commercial, it wouldn't matter if it's medevac, I will, you know, I'll pay any and all expenses right now. Okay. Have you brought a paramedic down here? I understand that, sir. Um, it's really on the safety of everybody involved, so that would okay. really be up to the ranger okay. charge. Well, that is good. There's, there's no wind whatsoever right now. Water is excellent. This building is, is at least 5 to 80 miles. Um, there's, there's definitely, I mean, I, I'm not a paramedic, but I've got a lot to do. Um, you can safely drop a paramedic from a, from a 10 foot rope. I mean, easily do that. I understand that, sir, but they definitely need to probably get someone on scene. They do have safety teams, and those okay. are the teams that are going to run up there okay. as fast as possible and get to your location. Okay, our car is parked at the intersection of 34 and 36, our green sheet. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be an hour. It will take an hour to get here. Well, we have uh, people that can do long speak in a couple hours. So we definitely have people that are, you know, really fast on the trail and, and they're in very great shape. Okay, now, okay. can you talk me through, how did you get to that location? We were just having lunch and outcropping. Not, not the two really steep ones, but at a really nice outcropping. We come down a little further and uh, he was trying to get a perfect picture, I think. And, and and I came around and she was unconscious. When I came, by the time I came down, and um, okay, you went in the Deer Mountain. Um, were you at Deer Ridge Junction, right? That's where you parked. You started at Deer Ridge Junction, the intersection of 34 and 36. Okay, and how far um, the trail do you think you went? We went to the, to the actual summit by taking a couple of feet. To the actual uh, summit? No, not to the summit on on the south side of the hill. But if you look at the Richter Ridge Tubbo Sheet, you'll see a nutty 9,012 foot summit. Okay. And um, we, we crested around there, came up the, the switchbacks, came up to where the Deer Mountain Trail levels off. Okay, so you went to the switchbacks and where Deer Mountain Trail levels off. Well, we turned directly north. Turned north, okay. Went about maybe, you know, several hundred yards, and there you we reached the north outcrops. We didn't go to the really steep one that you can see from Visitor Center or the, or the one to the, to the west of that. We were between the two. Okay. And, um, well, I'm not can I ask you some questions? How far to the top of the peak do you think you are? We didn't go, we didn't actually go to the peak. We okay. were kind of, we were, there's a peak and then there's the outcrop, and then if you go west, there's another peak, there's another outcrop. Okay. We were not at those two areas. We were at the saddle between the two. Saddle. And we came on down. And we were on a miscellaneous rock outcropping. Okay. You'll see the saddle here. And if you look up towards the peak, how far um, do you think you are from the peak? I can see the top. I'm 200, maybe 200 feet from the top. 200 feet from the peak, okay. Yeah, so the peak, from, from where they can see me. But they're, they're not going to see me where the, the, uh, the pine trees are growing up. So okay. um, I'm not sure how long the self coverage is going to be. Okay, how, many, how much battery power do you have left, sir? Uh, it's not great. Not, not great. Okay. Um, what I can do is. Uh, like I said, I can't imagine them being here within an hour if they're, if they're hiking from Deer Ridge Junction there. Um, in worst case scenario, if we lose complete contact here, uh-huh. I will, um, I've got a whistle someplace. I will, I will blow that whistle. whistle. Oh. I will blow the whistle every 15 minutes during the top of the hour. Okay, so you are going to blow your whistle every... Starting at 7 o'clock, there's no way you'll be here before 7 in a minute. Okay. If you walk in, now again, if there's any chance I can persuade you to think about a chopper in these light winds. I mean, usually in the park it's just blowing like crazy, but um, that will pay us okay. any expense. Okay, um, they're asking you to put as many bright items out as possible to see if they can't see you, if they can blast you. Okay, okay, let me see if I can hear 
So, so he obviously has some knowledge of some things that they, it prompted them to ask him if he was a paramedic. Yeah. Which is weird. I mean, is he He an outdoorsman? He was extremely knowledgeable about literally everything. Literally everything. But that's how Harold was described in his everyday life. He knew everything. He was a know-it-all. He bragged about literally everything. So, but yeah, you're right. He seemed like he knew... It all. It all, yeah. (laughs) He was even reading reading the latitude and longitude correctly and... Yeah, checking her pulse and respiration yes. and like telling them the wind speed yes. and stuff so a helicopter could land uh, yeah, safely. Yeah, that part I was like, okay, dude, come on. But, they know what they're doing. So I, I also wrote a summary in case I cut out any of the 911 call. Basically, Harold calls 911 at 5.55 p.m. and tries to convince the operator to call in a flight for life to his location. And he sounds like one of those pest control salesmen that will not leave you alone during dinner. He keeps saying his battery is running low and he hangs up with the operator after 17 minutes after giving his location. Um, He updates on Tony's pulse and respiration and the operator asks if he's a paramedic because he seems to be extremely knowledgeable on her well-being. He said that she suffered from a head wound, specifically a concussion, but she was still breathing, although unconscious. And he told them that they went on a hike, had a picnic, and then Tony was trying to get the perfect picture and fell. The call ended at 6.12 p.m. So Harold placed that 911 call at least 45 minutes after Tony's fall. What? Yeah. Well, he said it took him 45 minutes to get down to her body. And and at that time, that's when he reached out for help. On the way down, dude, when you realize it's going to take you that long, go ahead and call. That's yeah. crazy. He went ahead and climbed down, took 45 minutes. He assessed the situation, and that's when he called 911. In the call, Harold tells the 911 operator that Tony fell about 30 to 40 feet and had suffered a head injury. In reality, Tony fell 160 feet. <gasps> So he wasn't so good at measuring things after all. No. Whoa. And she was still breathing? According to Harold. So she fell 160 feet and her scalp was almost ripped clean off. Oh my God. A ranger was dispatched to find Harold and Tony. Meanwhile, Harold starts a fire moves Tony's body to an area that was more level, but it actually wasn't level at all because her feet were technically more inclined than her head when she was found. Oh, no. And he also texted his brother-in-law. Not to mention, Tony was completely, like, she was losing blood. Yeah, Like, a I'm lot sure. of blood. Any type of head wound. Bleeds like crazy. Bleeds. He texts, very urgent. 
Tony is injured in Estes Park, fall from rock. Critical, requested flight for life. EMT Rangers on way. Please come to Denver next flight. Low cell bat. Please return message. Harold called again as promised at 6.30 p.m. The operator tried to guide him through CPR, but Harold told her she was telling him what he already knew. He had already done CPR, and he was continuing to do so. He said his phone was dying, and he hung up on the operator. Harold texted his brother-in-law again at 8.41. He texted, My bride is gone. (gasps) The ranger... Mark Faraday makes it to Harold about two hours after the 911 call. Oh, wow. He had to run from where he was stationed all the way to where Harold was in the night. Oh, my God. Off trail to find this man and his wife. As he approached, he said he saw Harold jump up and go over to Tony and do some chest compressions. Uh Like, oh, someone's coming. I better look like I'm trying to save her. Yeah. Oh, my God. The ranger starts to check out Tony. Head wound and concussion were understatements. Mm -hmm. He confirms that Tony is gone, and Harold said, I think so, too. Little did Harold know, that same ranger that came to his rescue was also responsible for investigating the death of his wife. All deaths in national parks are investigated and all investigations started the same way, with questioning the person who was with them at the time of the accident. He asked Harold to run him through the day. What happened? Harold told the ranger about his surprise anniversary plans he made. How they checked into the Stanley Hotel and the next day they planned a picnic and a hike. He said they ended up leaving the trail because of the crowds. And then at some point, he said Tony had wandered off because she saw some turkeys. She followed the turkeys so she could get a perfect picture with the camera that Harold had given her as an anniversary present. Harold said he was looking down at his phone when he saw a blur out of the corner of his eye. His wife was gone. Because it was so dark at this point, the ranger had to take Harold back to safety. Meanwhile, two rangers were on their way to stay with the body to ensure it wasn't damaged. Harold put up a fight at first, but eventually left with the ranger. Oh my god. Can you imagine, like, your spouse dying from a fall? Mm Mm-hmm. You're being rescued by a ranger and having to, like, walk back hours in the darkness without her i can't imagine his fucking wife just fell off a cliff and died yeah that's crazy they made it back to the trailhead at about midnight where a ranger and some friends of harold's were waiting harold left with his friends and called his brother-in-law to tell him about what happened When Tony's father was notified, he could only muster three words. He pushed her. (gasps) 
the Bertolais decided that night that they had to be the voice of Tony to get justice, to make sure Haley ended up with them. Oh my God. That night, Harold went on a texting spree, sending the same text verbatim what he sent to Tony's brother. Dozens of people got the urgent and odd texts. Urgent. Tony is injured in Estes Park. Fall from rock. But no one knew that he was sending them long after Tony was confirmed dead. What? Bro, you don't do that unless you did push her. (laughs) Right. (laughs) He quite literally sent some of these messages while he was with the ranger beside his dead wife. Oh my god. Sitting beside his dead wife with the ranger texting that she's hurt. Yeah, the same whole thing. She's injured. They requested flight for life EMT rangers on the way. All of that. Yeah. Oh my god. Does he think life is a movie and he is building up to the climax and a story for each and every one of Tony's loved ones? Because that's what he's doing. Yeah, he's... It's like that thing where people just really want to be involved in something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, to where they're... They like to talk about it to other people. He's so excited to let everyone know that something bad happened. Yes. But he can't just tell them Tony's gone. Yeah. He has to give them the full thing so he can, like, build them up in suspense. It's so disgusting. Yeah. Weird. That is super weird. Oh, my God. He even sent the same text to some people the next day when he was back at home. What? Yeah. Dude. He dragged out the tragedy for a long time, letting people think she was still alive, that she could still make it long after she was dead. Why? Why? Soon enough, they all got the message. My bride is gone. They'd heard those words before. Tony wasn't the first spouse of Harold's who had died in a mysterious accident. Harold... (laughs) Oh my god. Harold was married prior to Tony to a woman named Lynn Rochelle. She looks exactly like my mom in her wedding photo in this picture. I was thinking she looked like Abby. My mom looked like Abby when she was younger. Why does every person... In these cases, look <laughs> like your mom. My mom. Yeah, I don't know. Your mom is like destined to be in a freaking <laughs> true crime documentary. Oh my god! Please watch her. <laughs> watch after her. Yeah, seriously. Lynn and Harold met while they were attending university at James Madison in Virginia. Harold was known around school as a popular and handsome guy who attended the Christian campus group called Young Life. Oh, yeah. When Harold transferred to another school, the two kept in touch and became close despite the distance. Lynn and Harold got married in September 1983. Like he'd do with his second wife, Harold planned the wedding meticulously with a binder for every possible role of the wedding. It's so weird. Like, 
it's so weird to me that he did that with the second wedding because a lot of times people on their second wedding, they're like, let's just do it the easiest way possible. Yeah. And it was also Tony's second wedding. So you would think it would just be like easy and like, but Harold was not that kind of guy. In fact, for every vendor in his wedding, he would have at least 10 interviews with each person before deciding to to hire them oh my god these people will probably like let's just not work with him because he's insane yeah any normal person would just be like this is i'm firing this client yeah yeah when it came time to take pictures harold controlled that too he posed people just so and wanted everyone to smile a certain way. It was as if he was trying to recreate what his version of a perfect life would be. Which creeps me out a lot. I don't know. Yeah. He's crazy. Like curating every detail. Yes. That gives me chills. It's kind of like what people do on Facebook where they have like the perfect life on Facebook and then you know they don't actually have a perfect life but they're trying to portray oh oh my god it reminds me of Chris Watts yeah how his wife was yes selling um thrive or whatever yeah and she like had to do all these Facebook lives and made their life look so So perfect. perfect yep oh my god at first the Rochelles found it endearing Harold really cared about the wedding and wanted everything to be perfect. Soon after becoming husband and wife, Harold and Lynn moved to Colorado, 1,600 miles away. Her family, friends, and church were devastated. But Lynn was confident that this move was what was meant to be. A friend of Lynn's noticed that whenever she called her to chat, Harold would always be on the phone too. Sometimes, when it was just the two of them talking, she would sense that Lynn was holding back. She felt like someone was on the other line. Hmm. When she'd ask if Harold was also on the phone, Harold's enthusiastic voice would come on the line. (sighs) And just be like, hey, what's going on? Oh my god, get off the phone, bitch. (laughs) Creep. This happened when the family reached out to Lynn, too. When Lynn's sister asked about it, Lynn told her that after they were married, they both agreed that Harold was the head of the household and nothing she did was private anymore. Oh my god. I I would kill myself. (laughs) But, you know, Mallory, she said this is what they both wanted. I don't know if that's true. But whatever. I can't fathom it i i can't i literally cannot imagine it so it's very disturbing i get mad just thinking about it (laughs) can you imagine if your mom calls you and brent's just like you both have to be on the phone at all times you don't have a moment to yourself at all no you don't have any secrets you don't have anything that's private i am a person that needs a lot of me time alone time same So that would literally ruin my life. (laughs) Yeah. 
And I guess this was like, well, this was definitely before cell phones. So there was no way she was going to be able to get around the landline unless she was like at work or something. Right, right. But Harold also came to her work all the time. Oh my God. Dude, just stay away. Act normal. (laughs) Something that Lynn craved more than anything was being a mother. But Harold had other plans. He wanted to make sure they had money in the bank before kids. And he said they'd need to wait 10 years at least. Lynn's family knew this was torture for her. 10 years came and went and they still didn't have a child. Lynn was having trouble conceiving. Oh no. Harold put a lot of pressure on her to get pregnant and it really took a toll on her emotional state. And with that, we're going to take a little break. B R E A K. We're back. Oh, we're back. Did you have a good break? I did have a good break. <laughs> Lynn would never have a child. On the night of May 7th, 1995, Harold and Lynn were driving down a dark mountainside road when Harold pulled off onto the shoulder. He said the tire felt spongy and he had to change it. Someone driving by saw a Jeep Cherokee on the side of the road and turned off to see if they needed assistance. He said Harold was outside of the car and Lynn was inside and had a scared look on her face. He approached Harold and asked if he needed any help. Harold was short with the man and said they were fine, that he had it under control. When the man insisted, Harold started getting frustrated and told the guy basically to just get the fuck out of there. The man offered to at least pull up so he could use his headlights to see what was going on. Harold shut him down and told him to leave them alone. So the man drove off. One of Harold's accounts on the accident goes like this. Lynn got out of the car to help him with the tire. Harold tried to lift the car with a Jeep jack that was in the back, but it was broken. He remembered he also happened to have two boat jacks. So he grabbed them and lifted the car up with the boat jacks. And boat jacks are not meant to be used on cars, people. It's extremely dangerous. So boat jacks are like a cylinder shape, whereas jacks for cars have kind of a clamp around them so they can lift the car up. Boat jacks are not like that. They, they have nothing to grasp onto. So as he was taking off the lug nuts, he would hand them to Lynn. She had a cloth in her hand to put the lug nuts in. And once he removed them all, He took the tire off the car and carried it around to the back where he tossed it inside the hatch. He said it was at that moment that the car crashed down and he heard a scream. He ran around to the front of the car and Lynn was underneath. Underneath the car? Yes. Oh my God. She was on her stomach and the brake rotor had landed on her back, pinning her to the ground. 
He told officers that she must have dropped the lug nuts and they rolled under the car and she went under to get them. Lynn would never go under a car in the dark in the middle of nowhere. She was a cautious person and she also had arthritis. It would be difficult for her to even get into that position. A car drives by the scene and Harold waves them down. They pull over to see what's going on and Harold says the car fell on his wife and she's still underneath. The people rushed out of the car to help while calling 911. And when they saw the scene, it sent shivers down their spine. Mm. They saw two legs sticking out of the car and they rushed over and managed to get Lynn out. Oh, wow. They rolled her over and began CPR, and that's when Harold came over and yelled at them to get the fuck off of her. Why? They didn't know, and it, w- it raised suspicions. Patricia Montoya, the woman who pulled over, remembers being really surprised by this. She noticed Lynn was turning blue and asked Harold to cover her with his coat to keep her warm. And Harold refused. Oh my god. The woman got fed up with asking him and eventually took off her own coat to cover Lynn. They started to hear sirens. The people who stopped to help noticed that Harold looked panicked instead of relieved. Patricia said that was the creepiest thing she'd ever seen in her life. Ambulances arrived soon after and got Lynn to a hospital where she eventually died during surgery. Oh my god. (sighs) Harold. Patricia Montoya called the sheriff's office the next day to ask where she could pick up her coat. When she learned that Lynn had died, she asked a question that would be permanently kept in Lynn's accident report. She asked, did you arrest the husband yet? (laughs) Nothing ever came of it. The death was ruled an accident. No one looked into Harold's odd behavior that night, the sketchy circumstances around the accident, and no one looked into the fact that several months prior, Harold had taken a life insurance policy out on Lynn. He selected a policy that basically doubled the amount if the death was the result of a car accident. What? Oh my god. Harold collected a total of around $600,000. The Rochelles stayed close to Harold after Lynn's death, mostly due to Harold's constantly contacting them. It was hard for Lynn's father to keep a relationship with Harold. After all, Harold went against he and the rest of the family's wishes and had Lynn cremated when it was a known fact that Lynn wanted to be buried. The Rochelles saw more of Harold after Lynn's death than ever before. So did Lynn's co-workers. He seemed to always be calling or dropping by. They all rationalized that it was because Harold needed them now more than ever before. They were his last link to his wife. He always had the time to call the Rochelles for every birthday, every anniversary, He'd make special trips to visit the Rochelles. He remained close with them even after marrying Tony. In fact, the Rochelles attended Tony and Harold's wedding. 
In an email update from Harold to the Rochelles, he listed out all of his business ventures, all of his work and family duties, but he always had the time. The Rochelles found it to be the craziest thing. Just like Harold felt comfortable going to visit them with Haley, the Rochelles felt comfortable sending their kids to visit him. They were comfortable with Harold. Until the text, my bride is gone. Oh man. Several calls and anonymous tips came into detectives following the death of Harold's second wife, Tony Henthorne. I mean, over a dozen people reached out to share their thoughts, weird inconsistencies, and stories. The calls all had one thing in common. They said they should look deeper into Harold. Mm. He had a previous wife who had also died in a mysterious accident. Both accidents took place in a remote location. Both happened after 12 years of marriage. Oh, weird. And there was more. This wasn't the first time Tony got extremely hurt in the presence of Harold. Oh, no. (gasps) A year before she died, Tony was involved in an accident. Harold owned a little house in the mountains west of Denver and took Tony and Haley there often. One night, something happened at the cabin that left Tony recovering in a hospital bed. Around 10 at night, when Haley was fast asleep, Harold asked Tony to help him clean up around the deck. They were about to go to bed. It came out of nowhere. How weird would it be if Brenton was like, hey, about to go to bed, but first, can you help me clean this deck off real real fast? Yeah. By the way, (laughs) I'll do the top, you do the bottom of the deck. But... Tony knew not to bother reasoning with Harold. So Harold is on the top of the deck cleaning up some debris, and Tony is down below. She stops to pick up a broken light bulb when all of a sudden something falls from the sky and hits her in the back of the neck. She falls to the ground. It just so happens that right as Tony bent over, Harold had thrown a large piece of wood off the deck. Oh. Harold calls 911 and asks a friend nearby if he can watch Haley. He said there had been an accident. Tony is rushed to a hospital where she was eventually transferred and treated for injuries to her cervical spine. Oh my god. She suffered from a fractured vertebrae and lingering numbness in her hand, which, not good for a surgeon. I was about to say, an eye surgeon no less. No police report was filed, so no crime was committed. But it was the same kind of story. You have Harold in a remote location with no other witnesses, Mm -hmm. late at night. He told people varying stories about the incident. To some people, he said he threw a 2x4. To others, he said it was a (laughs) 2x6. Some said he told them he tossed a 20-foot log. Oh my god, what? <laughs> His story was never consistent. Harold told the Bertolais about Tony's accident, but he downplayed the entire thing. They had no idea about the seriousness of the injury. If Tony hadn't reached to pick up that light bulb, she would have most definitely been killed by that piece of wood. Oh my god. 
Holy shit, dude. This... Oh, my God. Yeah. And he's supposed to be a Christian! Christian! (laughs) Bob and Yvonne Bertolet, Tony's parents, could sense things weren't right in the marriage. There was a lot that couldn't be explained. Harold bragged about how well his business was doing, that he was raking in a million or so a year, yet the couple seemed to always be struggling with finances. Hmm. The Bertolets often found themselves helping the couple with money. Every time Tony managed to sneak a peek at their bank account, it was much less than she would have imagined, based on what Harold was telling her. The Bertolets hoped that the birth of Haley would help the relationship, but things only got weirder. The control Harold seemed to demand over Tony extended to their daughter Haley as well. Harold planned every second of her days. He told Haley when and what to eat, and he refused to allow Tony to help put Haley to bed at night. Weird. He insisted that the hour or so before bedtime was his daddy-daughter time. Would that enrage you as a parent? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not a parent, but I would be like, fuck off, bitch. I would be like, you're not going to tell me. Yeah. When I can see my child. Not. Yeah. <laughs> I can see my baby. He kept tabs on her even after she'd fallen asleep. Over the years, Yvonne and Bob tried to talk to Tony about their concerns with Harold. It wasn't often due to them being unable to talk to her on the phone. Basically, any time they visited Colorado and got her alone, they'd broach the subject. They'd asked her why she didn't question him about the money issues. Tony said if she did, she'd suffer the consequences. That basically meant if she questioned him, she'd have to hear him talk in circles for hours until he got what he wanted, which he always did. Ugh, insufferable. But then the cabin incident happened, and it set off alarm bells for Tony's parents. Yvonne had held her tongue on so many things for so long But when Tony was able to get away from Harold and visit her in Mississippi, Yvonne used the opportunity to not hold back. When they were alone, Yvonne told Tony, I don't think that was an accident at all. Tony was quiet and Yvonne continued. She told Tony that she thought Harold wasn't working as much as he said he was, if at all. She said she believed Harold was living off his first wife's life insurance a death that everyone in the Burley family understood to be a result of a tragic car accident. She shared her suspicions that Harold was having an affair. What else would explain the work travel he did? Interesting. Tony said nothing, so Yvonne gave her daughter a warning. You do with this what you want to, but I would be very careful. I would not go anywhere alone with this man. Tony never responded, but she gave a sad, knowing smile. She left to head back to Colorado a few days later. God. Can you imagine what was going through her brain? I can't imagine at all. When the Bertolets got the call a year later that Tony had fallen to her death, they knew. 
and Bob Bertolet said what everyone else in the family was thinking. He pushed her. Despite the family's wishes, Harold had Tony cremated, just like Lynn. Oh my god. Her funeral had been extensively planned in no time at all. There was a robust slideshow of pictures of Tony, Haley, and Harold. He included none of her life prior to him. The families thought it was in poor taste. Yeah. He planned the funeral just as he had planned the wedding. Every member of the family had an assigned seat in the church. Family and friends recall that Harold did not seem like a grieving husband. If anything, he just seemed angry. All the calls coming into investigators about Harold only added to their already mounting suspicions. Paul Larson, one of the National Park Service rangers, was called to process the scene. He found a list of things that didn't add up. One, the obscure location. It would have been a really long, difficult hike to reach this spot for an average hiker because it was so steep. It wasn't a place you would just happen upon. Two, the map in Harold and Tony's car. The map had the Deer Ridge Trail highlighted, and then there was an X at the precise location that Tony had fallen. What? They seized the map as evidence. Mark Faraday, the ranger that found Harold, continued with his investigation. He paid Harold a visit at his home to walk through what happened the day of his wife's death. Harold told the ranger that he was preoccupied with a text he had received from Haley's babysitter when Tony fell. Mark asked to see his text, and Harold handed him his phone. He noted the time of the text came in around 5.54 p.m. That story didn't add up because he called 911 at 5.55 p.m and claimed that it took him 45 minutes to get down to Tony, and then that's when he called 911. Yeah. Math doesn't add up there, buddy. Sorry. Faraday then handed Harold the map from his car and pointed to the X and was like, well, what about this? And Harold had no words and seemed taken aback. (laughs) After that, he basically just wanted Faraday out. All of these red flags caused Mark Faraday to call to reach out for more help. The case required further investigation and was handed over to the ISB, or the Investigative Services Branch of the National Park Services. Did you know that existed? I did not know that existed. I always want to call it the IBS. IBS? (laughs) So, when a crime happens in a national park... Mm -hmm. It's a federal offense. Oh, automatically? Since it's on federal land. Oh. So they have their own FBI for national parks. That's crazy. Called the ISB, which is called the Investigative Services Branch. Officer Beth Schott took over the case, and her first order of business was to meet with the Bertolais and learn more about Tony and her relationship with Harold. The Bertolais shared their suspicions with Officer Schott and said they'd do anything they could to help with the investigation. 
They were adamant about finding the truth and making sure Haley was taken care of. So they teamed up with Beth Shot and provided her with any information she would need throughout the investigation. Tony's digital camera was a huge help with the investigation. It fell off the cliff with her and was destroyed, but the SD card was still intact. The photos on this SD card would show the final moments before Tony's death. Beth and her team were able to look through the photos and map out all the areas that the couple went to. They found the lunch spot a quarter mile off the trail. It was a difficult hike and held no promise of a scenic view or anything. It seemed like a totally random spot to leave the trail unless they had scouted it prior. Where they had lunch was beautiful. There'd be no reason to go any further. Yet they go further. Down a treacherous hill of boulders that ends at a cliff. Oh my god. It's actually crazy. Guys, you have to watch this docuseries on Hulu called Wild Crime. I think that's what it's called. In order to get down the cliff, you have to go down a 60-degree boulder field. Oh my god. I don't understand why Tony would walk down this hill knowing that she would have to walk back up. And she had had knee surgeries prior in her life. She had injuries. Beth Schott says that there is no reason you'd ever go to the spot unless you planned on pushing someone off a cliff. Here is one of the last pictures Tony took. All right, so this is a picture of Harold standing on the edge of a cliff, holding onto a tree branch with one hand, and he's looking back and smiling. There were several photos like this of Harold. Tony's body landed directly under the tree Harold is holding. Officer Schatz thinks there are so many pictures of Harold posing on the cliff because he was trying to lure her to the edge to get a picture of her own. Oh, oh my God. It was believed that it was here that Harold pushed her. And guys, we will post a picture of this on our Instagram account so you can see the exact picture that we're talking about. Tony fell from the ledge and tumbled down the rock face, crashing into a tree and ultimately landing on an outcrop below. But this wasn't where she was found. Harold dragged her body over the rocks further down the mountain. What? We know this because there was a trail of blood (gasps) and one of Tony's boots was found on the outcrop. Oh my god. Other suspicious findings were that Harold claimed he had performed CPR, but he never seemed to be out of breath and Tony's lipstick was still perfectly in place. Hmm. He also was spending a lot of time texting people. Mark Faraday had seen the text from the babysitter, but when he requested to see other texts from that day, Harold declined. After that meeting, and after Harold realized he was under suspicion, he got rid of that phone. Wow. Detectives got a search warrant for the Henthorne home. Their biggest discovery in the home 
was the family's tax returns. The tax returns showed that Harold was making about absolutely nothing a year. Uh Uh-uh. Seriously? For 20 years. (gasps) How did he live? Oh, life insurance. Oh my god. Harold was making absolutely nothing for 20 years. So he didn't even have a job at all? No. Oh my god. How do you pull that off for 20 years as a Chandler Alderson for 20 years? Now you understand why I love it. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) He posed as someone he wasn't for over 20 years. That's crazy. Going on business trips. Making his own business cards and stationery. Hiring a nanny so he could work. Harold wasn't going to meet clients. Harold was driving to a Panera Bread 10 miles from his house and spending three to four hours a day there. Oh my god. His phone also showed that he had traveled to Estes Park several times prior to Tony's death. He drove there eight to nine times before taking Tony there for their anniversary. Wow. Scouting out the perfect view. Mm-hmm. The perfect lunch spot. Yep. Just pure romance. Yeah, pure romance. Months before her death, Tony started to pay more attention to the finances. Up until that moment, Harold had controlled all of it, and Tony had no idea about what was coming in and what was going out. The truth was, Harold was living off Tony, and he was living off Lynn's life insurance money. Mm -hmm. Tony started to pull away from Harold. She started to become more independent, wanting to see the accounts. Harold couldn't have that. If they got divorced, that would mean she'd find him out. Harold booked this anniversary trip as soon as he found out that Tony had opened her own bank account. Oh my god. But before they left, he of course forged Tony's signature and emptied her account. Oh my god. Dude. Can you believe people like this exist? No, I do. I cannot. It's actually my worst fear. Yeah. Investigators also discovered that there were three life insurance policies taken out on Tony totaling $4.5 million. Oh my god. You said three? 4.5. No, but three of them. Totaling. Oh, totaling $4.5 million. Harold Henthorne only told them about one policy for $1.5 million and neglected to tell them about the two other policies worth another $3 million. God. Investigators found that there was a potential third victim of Harold's, his sister-in-law, Grace Frischel. Grace was the wife of Lynn Henthorne's brother, and they were all very close. Oh, jeez. When Lynn died, Grace and Harold remained very close. Harold stayed close with their entire family, including the children, and he was always there as a friend. When Grace was going through a divorce, she was concerned for her financial stability. 
They had to foreclose on their house and they had to file for bankruptcy and had no savings. Grace confided in Harold and his advice was for her to open a life insurance policy to protect her four daughters if anything ever happened to her. Oh, God. Grace initially agreed to Henthorne, taking out a policy that would pay $50,000 to Grace's brother and each of her four daughters for a total of $250,000. But after the divorce was finalized in 2010... Grace decided to move her family to Texas. She called up Harold to tell him the news, and he was infuriated. He had been trying to convince Grace to move to Colorado. He acted like a straight-up psycho over the phone. He was so angry about her decision to move. So Grace told him to forget about the policies, that she would take care of it on her own. But Harold proceeded on taking the policy out for $400,000. Oh my god. He forged Grace's signature and made himself the beneficiary. Ugh. And she had no idea. Oh my god. Until investigators uncovered this. That's crazy. After Tony's death. Wow. She even called her what's it called? Broker? Uh-huh. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. She, <laughs> called, she called the broker and was like, I want to cancel this. But somehow Harold managed Oh my god. That dude. is so scary. That is so scary. Dude, I wonder if someone has a life insurance policy out on me. <laughs> How can you find it out? I don't know. I guess I'll have to wait till you die and then the investigators find out. <laughs> Grace was one of the first to be questioned in the investigation. It was found that Grace and Harold were texting and calling each other nonstop in the months leading up to Tony's death. And that sent red flags to investigators thinking that he must be in a relationship with Grace, and that was the reason that he killed Tony. Oh my god. But they weren't. Oh, they weren't? They weren't. We now can kind of assume that he was most likely trying to get close with Grace again, since she seemed to be the next target. Right, okay. In October 2012... After receiving several inquiries from CBS, plus all the suspicious behavior and odd coincidences, Douglas County decided to reopen their investigation on Lynn's death. When Detective Weaver of Douglas County reviewed the case, he found a note about a witness that had tried to help the Bertolais. It was a note about Patricia Montoya's call, where she asked if they arrested the husband yet. Weaver called her nearly 20 years later and asked if she had any idea why he, an officer from Douglas County, might be calling out of the blue. Montoya's answer came quick and definitive. That woman on the mountain, she said. Lynn's death and Harold's behavior, Montoya told them, was the creepiest thing she had ever seen. Mm. The Bertolais remained close with Harold in order to continue a relationship with Haley and to provide information to investigators. The Bertolais went public with their feelings and suspicions of Harold in a 2013 interview. In turn, Harold immediately cut off all contact with the Bertolais, 
basically removing Kaylee from their lives. On November 6th, 2014, two years after Tony's fatal fall, Harold Hinthorne was arrested and charged by federal authorities with her first-degree murder. Oh my God. He was held without bail, and he pleaded not guilty. Of course. After taking a closer look at reports on Lynn Hinthorne's death, Douglas County Coroner Laura Thomas changed Lynn's manner of death from accident to undetermined in December 2014. The Douglas County Sheriff's Office also reopened the case, but no criminal charges have been filed. Harold Hinthorne went on trial for Tony's murder in 2015. A judge permitted the circumstances surrounding the death of his first wife, Lynn, to be included in the trial, which is amazing. That is amazing. Considering what we know about the Pam Hupp trial, Mm -hmm. or the Russell Faria trial. Russell Faria, yeah. Yeah, they wouldn't let any of these, like, circumstances be presented yes. in court the fact they allowed for lynn's death to be presented I'm as surprised. evidence is amazing yeah i'm really surprised henthorne did not take the stand and his defense attorney called no witnesses after 10 hours of deliberation the jury found harold henthorne guilty of murdering tony henthorne and he received a mandatory life sentence oh my god so I have a picture pulled up here, and I just want to, like, call it out to you a little bit. Okay. This is Harold with his daughter Haley. This mm-hmm. was after after Tony had died. This man scares me. He looks scary. His eyes... They're dead. He looks like a entity within a human yeah. skin. Yeah. Like an entity peering out from dark, dead eyes. Yes. Like he's possessed. (laughs) Like by the devil. Every other picture, you see him smiling, and apparently he's like a really outgoing person and always on. But like if you make these plans to kill someone, like you're, kill your spouses, and you're like planning them so meticulously Mm -hmm. like he planned their wedding so meticulously the funerals so meticulously he had a plan and when he's not smiling it's like you see him Mm -hmm. for the first time yeah and he is evil is el diablo el diablo i get it now i don't know he just to me it looks like an alien almost he does he doesn't yeah yeah. It almost looks like he has plastic surgery because it he is does? so bizarre looking. Yes. And and I would like to add, too, that he looks nothing like the first picture that you showed me in this photo. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like a different person. It's so weird. He's the Antichrist. But good news. Haley Henthorne, pictured here with Tony's brother, Barry Bertolet, and his wife, Paula, is now officially a ward of the Bertolets, which basically means she is being raised by Tony's family. Um, yeah. 
She changed her last name to her mother's maiden name, Bertolet, and doesn't have a relationship with her father at all. Good. 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 He doesn't deserve her. Lynn and Tony Henthorne share a tragic connection, including their final resting spot. What? Harold Henthorne, who quickly had the bodies of both wives cremated, spread their ashes 17 years apart in the same same spot. That's so weird. You're telling me? Why, dude? That's my story. Oh my god, that Um, was nuts. That's actually not my story, but the Bertolet story, which I can't even imagine. They Mm -hmm. held a relationship with this man in order to save Haley. Yeah. They went through hell. Yeah. Basically having to act like nothing was wrong with this guy. Mm Mm-hmm. That's insane in order to help the investigation and they succeeded i would have such a hard time doing that i have a hard time faking any emotion that i have though (laughs) i like even the investigator beth Schatz, who is an amazing human Mm -hmm. she is you can see her in one of my sources i'll mention it in a second but she even said she didn't know how they did it she couldn't she yeah. couldn't understand how they could do that. But, like, it helped immensely with getting Haley back with them. Wow. And getting Harold put away. The the Bertolets and the um, Rochelles compared notes. And that's how the investigation, like, found him that's guilty. Crazy. Like crazy. Insane. Dude. He, he was reckless, though. I mean, he may be a meticulous planner, but don't text people after your wife is dead saying that she's injured. That's like attention-seeking behavior. Yes, it is. Absolutely. Attention-seeking, narcissistic. Yep. My sources are a four-part docuseries on Hulu called Wild Crime, which I would recommend. I'm going to watch it. Um... You'll see a lot of Beth shot. You'll see a lot of Mark Faraday. Those were the rangers that were involved a lot in the investigation. Mm-hmm. It's so good. So well done. Um, and then I also, again, with the books, I listened to this book. It was called The Accidents, and it was written by Caleb Hannon. And he also appears in the Wild Crime docuseries. But... I really appreciated how he wrote the book. It was it wasn't long at all. He only gave like pertinent details and it was truly just like really well done. And at the end, I appreciated that he was like I didn't want to make this I didn't want to like write this book for anything other than to tell the story of the Bertolets and how mm-hmm. they wanted to get Tony's story out there and warn others about people like this. I also read an article from CBS 48 Hours called The Unusual Deaths of the Two Mrs. Henthorns. Wow. That was really good. I liked that one a lot. I mean, I didn't like it, but you know what I mean. I know what you mean. You can see why I was drawn to it, right? Yes. 
Scary stuff. That is super scary. And it could be anybody you know. <laughs> oh. Anything else you want to add to this app? Are you happy with the app? Are you happy with you? Are you happy with me? Are you happy with... I'm happy. Are you I'm happy? happy? All I have to do, though, is pee-pee real bad. So I guess we got to say bye. Because Mallory has to pee-pee. You can find us... Hey, Mallory, why don't you just go ahead and go pee-pee? I'll, I'll close out. Will you stop? Just quit. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you want to leave us a review, that would be super lovely. Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Um, and also you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook and all of the things. And mm-hmm. we love you and Mallory SPP and bye. Love ya. know that there's something called maple syrup urine disease (laughs) (laughs) no what's it mean i don't know what causes it but it makes your urine thick like (laughs) (laughs) i just thought about it when i was peeing okay bye (laughs) okay bye